Um, Tim preached last week, uh, and I'm going to kind of follow on from him. And we were following a prompt by Stephanie Lubistique, who I can see is with us, but I can't see her lovely face. She um, shared um, communion, led communion about three weeks ago, and she was really focusing on unity. And that's what I wanted to talk more about on which Tim introduced um, last week. I'm sure that you already know that when the Bible was written, that the chapters weren't put in place exactly where they are now. Um, and some commentators say that with regard to the passage that we're going to look at today, which is Philippians 2, if you have your Bibles, um, that it's a bit of a shame where the chapter break is because chapters 2 starts with, get my Bible, starts with therefore. And Therefore, it builds on what was there before in the chapter one, which is about uh, Paul's suffering and about the suffering of the Philippians. And so Paul is saying that because of that suffering, I want you to pay attention with the next bit that I'm going to talk about. And the next bit that he's talking about is unity. Um, I'm calling it unity. He called it being like minded and being one in spirit and mind. So unity in maths means one, and we think about it as being the state of being joined as a whole. It's not being everybody being the same. It doesn't mean that we all think the same, have the same gifts. Probably some of you can think about those verses that talk about many gifts, but one body. So it doesn't mean that. One spirit, I think for me, kind of means loyalty. It means wanting the best for others, you know, cheering them on. Um, it means being patient when people see things differently to you or express themselves differently. Um, and it's allowing people who are different to influence you and use choosing to, to spend time with them, not just kind of tolerate their different views, but actually really embrace them. And actually that's quite challenging. Um, you know, I can think of staff meetings where there'll be somebody who is passionate about something and inside I'm thinking, oh no, here we go again. Uh, you know, they're banging on their drum, aren't they? But actually, it's really important because those people are passionate and what they say is important. And I have to admit, occasionally, I've thought that in church meetings as well. Uh, you know, that we, we have different lenses and we see things differently. And actually, we need to embrace those different lenses. It doesn't mean that people are wrong or that they don't get it. It just they see things in a slightly different angle to us. And that can be a challenge to unity. One in mind then doesn't mean that we look in the same way, but it does mean that we have the same goal. You know, our goal is to bring God's kingdom on earth, to see people saved and be in wonderful relationship with God, to worship him, to learn together about his amazing word, to bring the supernatural here on earth, more healings, all those things. So we have the same what, but we don't have the same how, how we go about it. Unity is a really big deal because it's important to God and because actually there's blessing. You know, if we, we're not going to get things done as individuals um, because it will mean that we duplicate our efforts, we go off in tangents, we get tired, we need to do things together. And the Bible is full of people doing things together because it's important to God. In Psalm 133 verse 3, there's a specific blessing. It says, when brothers live together in unity, there the Lord commands a blessing. And I like the King James Version because that says commands a blessing, which makes it sound like there's no getting out of it. If we're in unity, then there's a definite blessing there as well. And also, 
it also says in the Bible that unity is like a marker. It's a pointer to God. And it's interesting, again, in the workplace, how much disunity there is. You know, as soon as somebody makes a decision, you know, our bosses or whatever, somebody in my work's always got an opinion about how it could have been done better or differently. And that's the same in life, isn't it? So, you know, it's actually really ungodly disunity. And actually unity is at the heart of the gospel, Father, Son and Holy Spirit working together in complete union for whatever they purpose together. So therefore, to be united is to be most like God. And disunity is a problem because it hinders God's purposes. You know, we're saved because God wanted us near him. He didn't want that broken relationship. But we're also saved to further his purposes, to do his work, to bring salvation, to bring healing, to bring forgiveness, which uh, Remy was, um, Rosie was talking about, you know, to bring healing and all of God's kingdom here on earth. And we can't do that if we are disunited. If we follow our own agenda, we just won't achieve it. So God called us to be united. And that's the only place that he is going to bless where there's unity. And unity is difficult at the moment. Uh, you know, Paul was talking to the Philippines. It was difficult for them because they were suffering persecution and they were missing his leadership. For us, you know, we're dealing with this COVID thing, aren't we? And when we're suffering, cracks appear in our character, don't they? And the way we treat each other. You particularly see this with young children, you know, when they're tired and they get a bit grumpy, don't they? And, and they get a bit selfish and stroppy. And we're a bit like that as well, I think. Um, you know, at the moment, we're a lot of us having to work a lot harder to do the same things as we used to do. You know, Tim manages 18 people and he has to do that all remotely. Normally, he would have been able to walk past their desk and have a bit of a chat. Now he has to have phone each one of them individually. And I'm, I'm in a classroom and I'm loving being back at school. But these social bubbles that we're in, I mean, I can't nip up to the office and have a quick chat and get what I need. I have to phone people. I can't go to any year group anymore. So if I want to get some resources or in another classroom, I've got to think of another way to do it. Everything is a lot more difficult and that's tiring. And I'm sure it is for you guys as well. You know, those of you who are in public transport, you know, those of you who are in the health service, just Zoom meetings are one after another are draining. So we're not sleeping well. Our relationships are, you know, under strain sometimes. Finances are an issue. We're suffering in all these different ways. And that threatens our peace. And then it threatens unity. Paul particularly thinks, talks about selfish ambition and vain conceit threatening unity in the passage that we're looking at. Selfish ambition, well, you might be interested to know that ambition in Greek is kenodoxus. Don't know how to pronounce it, sounds about okay, but it means empty glory, which I think is a really good definition of the wrong sort of ambition. Ambition in itself, you know, isn't wrong or right, it's just a thing. Actually, it can be a very good thing because people with ambition have got drive. And people with ambition achieve things. They've achieved things in the world, really good things. Uh, and they achieve things in the church. We need ambitious people. But um, we've got to be careful. I was thinking actually as a church, we really celebrate individual callings, don't we? We celebrate it when we've heard from God, God's given us gifts and we go with things. And that's great. But I think we do need to make sure that we consider the impact on each other and the impact on the church. And you know, we need to make sure that we are following absolutely what God wants, 
not something that we think is a good idea. You know, we need to think about how it affects the wider body. Uh, and you need to make sure as well that when you are following your gifting, that there's still spare capacity to be united with the body. You know, you've got to make sure you have a bit of time for fellow Christians and obviously your family and work. Because if you're fulfilling something, following something wholeheartedly, that can leave you drained and that can leave you, you know, with pressures on the people around you. And also we need to make sure we've got a bit of spare time for all the mundane, boring sort of stuff that needs to be done, you know, in the church, in, the, in our homes and stuff as well. I think there's a bit of tension actually because, you know, we're saved as individuals and particularly in the Western society, it's very much focused on us as individuals, you know, am I fulfilled, uh, are my needs being met? Um, and we need to be careful because actually God wants our calling to be expressed within his body, the church. Um, Paul, interesting, when he's talking about vain conceit, he, he doesn't mince his words, does he? I think it probably means something like excessive pride in ourselves. And I think about a peacock then. And I don't really think we've got any peacocks in CCK. We don't, it doesn't strike me like that. But maybe it's more about looking after our own needs, you know, thinking about what we need rather than others. You know, and when do we're under pressure, maybe sometimes we feel that our needs aren't being met. We might be critical about other people. Maybe they, we don't think they're meeting their needs and they should be. Um, maybe, and this is something, you know, I have to be careful with at work and some of you may, sometimes I think I work harder than other people. And that may be true, but you know, I just got to forgive them like Rosie was, um, Rosie was saying. I need to be careful that we love each other. Um, so, you know, unity is important and it's tricky. So how do we achieve it? Well, in uh, this passage, Paul is particularly looking at two things, I think. The first thing he's looking at really is, I would say a bit like the benefit package of the gospel. And that's in verses uh, one and two of chapter two. Uh, and it's a big long list of ifs. Tim says, I've got to read it. And I always do what he says, so I'm going to read it to you. <laughs> uh, there we go. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And I really like this if, because it's a rhetorical advice, uh, device. Um, and I imagine almost a little bit of sarcasm from Paul. He probably wasn't sarcastic, but you know what he's saying when he says if, he's saying, obviously you've got this. You know, obviously you are united, uh, you are united one with Christ. Obviously you have comfort from his love because that's what it is to be saved. Obviously you are sharing with Holy Spirit. And obviously you experience God's tenderness and compassion. And if that's true, which it obviously is, then we need to pass that on. And actually, it is so good when we do pass it on. You know, I got a text from Tracy this morning, just checking up on my sister who's not very well and me. And that was lovely. And 
you know, I know that I love the feeling when I have blessed somebody because what happens is that kind of blessing multiplies. You know, we were made to bless others. So when we bless others, we get blessed, they get blessed, it gets multiplied and in all likelihood, they're going to bless somebody. And it's just really good because not only do we pass on the idea that we are thinking about them, but even more importantly, because God prompted us, God's thinking about them. And that's actually even better than us, us thinking about people. So the first thing that Paul's talking about is that unity is strengthened when we pass on the love that we have experienced ourselves. And then finally, and most importantly, Paul talks about God's supreme example, uh, like our manual of how to do life, and that's Jesus. And he says, look at Jesus. And I'll read it. Verse 6 to 11. I'll start five actually. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. And at that name every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow, well, I mean that needs a preach all by itself, but I am gonna mention it briefly because Paul talked to it, talked about it with relation to us achieving unity. They're massive verses, aren't they? But what it's kind of saying in a nutshell is that unity requires that I set aside my ambitions, my selfish desires and wanting of self-fulfillment to benefit the whole. Verse six, it says, Jesus didn't consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. So Jesus didn't use the very power that he had to his own benefit. And I just think that's massive because, you know, in every part of our lives, we use the skills and the strengths that we have to achieve what we want. That, that, that's, that's what the world is about, isn't it? And yet Jesus didn't do that. He was God and he could have used whatever he wanted to have got out of that terrible thing of the cross. But he didn't because the cross is where our sins were dealt with. And that meant we could have a relationship with God. And therefore, Jesus didn't shirk that, even though he could have done, even though it was awful. He didn't because he set aside that in order to serve the purpose of the whole. And it also says in verse seven and eight that he made himself nothing. He made himself a man. And I've been thinking this week about the cross and about how it's actually such a shameful thing. It was a very shameful thing in those days for Jews and it's got it in Deuteronomy 21, 23 and Galatians 3, 13, if you wanted to look it up, that for Jewish people to be crucified was a really shameful thing. Um, and God, it's just so interesting that God could have had Jesus die in any way that he wanted, but he made Jesus die in the most shameful way possible. There's various texts as well, apparently, in Roman texts that talk about for Roman citizens it was really shameful so just across the whole time period then you know the cross was seen as something awful 
and yet God chose that thing that gave no glory at all at the time to give ultimate glory and such a, a humbling thing that he did there. And Paul talks about humility in verses three and four. He talks about us valuing other people above ourselves. And that isn't like um, a thing for us to compare, which I sometimes think it is, because that doesn't really achieve very much. But I think it's more about valuing other people and their needs and what they require before mine, valuing other people's interests before mine. You know, um, I think all of you know that I'm a teacher in my day job. And to be perfectly honest, sometimes the last thing I've wanted to do in the past is to do junior church. Although I love children and I want to see them do well, sometimes if I've been teaching all week, I don't always want to do junior church on a Sunday as it was, uh, and we're doing it a bit in the week now. But I do it because the children of Church of Christ the King need it, and you as parents need it. Um, um, and actually that's true, I think, of probably everybody in junior church, everybody in creche who serves, they do it because they are serving you guys. And I think they should be commended for that. And actually that's probably true of every area of service in the church. You know, even if people are excited about what they're doing, there's always mundanities to be done that have to be done week in, week out. And those guys do it in order to serve the whole, in order to serve uh, unity in the church and to bless everybody and they put other people's interests before their own and actually you guys do that as well you know when you text each other um, you know actually when you are here uh, on a Sunday morning zooming together you, you may have been really really busy you may have had to move things around in order to be here but you're here because you want to bless everybody you know those of you who join the midweek meetings you know like Tim you've probably had zoom meetings the whole day and yet you come to the midweek meetings and I'd encourage you if you're not to do it because actually even when you're exhausted, even when you're not feeling tip top, even if you're feeling a bit grumpy because you're made in the image of God, you are a blessing. And just by being there, you're going to bless somebody who may just really, really need it. So I just want to encourage you. Thank you for being here and blessing us all and, you know, continue with it. And if you have a bit of spare capacity, you could contact Tim or Jamie or anybody else you know who lead a leadership team and, you know, just say to them, how can I support you? How can I be of service? How can I put other people's needs before my own? So just to conclude then, unity is where we're of one mind and one spirit. It happens when we value the needs of others over our own. And so we need to actively consider how we're managing to do that. I think it's being loyal to everybody and spending time with people who are different and maybe you've got to spend a bit of time working hard to understand. But when you do that, then you're going to be most like Jesus. Uh, you're most, God's going to really richly bless you and he's going to bless our church here and the whole community. So God bless you.